another ABI podcast. I'm Ann Lawton, a professor of law at Michigan State University and a resident scholar at the American Bankruptcy Institute. Today I'm joined by two guests. Professor Lynn Lepucky is a Security Pacific Bank Distinguished Professor of Law at UCLA School of Law. And Professor Joseph Doherty is a director of the Empirical Research Group at UCLA Law. Professors Lepucky and Doherty have authored a fascinating article entitled Bankruptcy Survival, which will appear this spring in the UCLA Law Review. In Bankruptcy Survival, they provide a model for predicting a Chapter 11 case's probability of surviving bankruptcy. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Anne. So let's start with the title of your article, Bankruptcy Survival. That means something different than whether the debtor confirms a plan or not. So would you explain what you mean by that term, bankruptcy survival? Yes. What we mean by that term is that uh, going businesses enter bankruptcy, and are they still going businesses at the time uh, that the bankruptcy case is concluded? So, for example, a company might be sold, but it's sold as a going concern. It continues to operate after bankruptcy as a going concern that counts as a success. A company that goes into bankruptcy and very successfully liquidates itself, there is no surviving company, we count that for our purposes as a failure. So why did you select that as your measure of success as opposed to plan confirmation? What's the assumption underlying that decision? Well, first of all, both of them are important. It's important whether you confirm a plan in a Chapter 11 case. It's also important whether the company survives. There are two different things to study. And confirmation has been studied a lot because it's easy to study. Bankruptcy survival hasn't been studied very much because the data haven't existed uh, until we collected it for the success modeling project of the Bankruptcy Research Database. Could you give us, uh, the audience, sort of an, an overall sense of how many firms survive using your bankruptcy survival definition? Well, for these, among these large public companies, about 70% of the companies survive. Now, many of those companies shrink along the way. The interesting thing here is that the companies have widely differing probabilities of survival. For some companies, the calculated probability of survival is less than 10%. These are companies that are public, stating publicly that their intent is to survive the bankruptcy, but they have very little chance of doing so. And there are other companies at the same time who have survival probabilities in excess of 95%. You can tell which companies are which by using our uh, bankruptcy survival calculator uh, that's on the website, uh, the UCLA Lepucky Bankruptcy Research Database. You enter the uh, 11 factors that uh, uh, are specified in the article and on the website, and the program will tell you the probability that that particular company will survive. So uh, let me ask you a question just before we dive in. Uh, In terms of the cases that you studied, if you give me a little bit of an idea about the types of cases, the size, how many cases you're talking, the years of coverage here. So the time period that we're studying is from January 1994 to the present uh, it's all Chapter 11 uh, cases filed by debtors who had more than $100 million in assets in 1980 dollars. Um, so what is that now, then, about $240 million? Hmm. Yeah, two, 270 maybe. Okay. Uh, so a, a company filing today with 270, $270 million would be in the database. 
we excluded cases of firms that indicated in their filing that they did not intend to survive, uh, and we also excluded financial institutions because those are primarily holding companies for, uh, uh, for banks. We ended up with uh, 634 cases in the study. You describe 11 variables that are statistically significant predictors of bankruptcy survival. Let's focus on several of those, and there are several very interesting ones. The first is uh, judicial experience. So could you explain the effect of judicial experience on bankruptcy survival? If the judge has more experience, the company is more likely to survive. The experience we're talking about is, ex is not experience as a bankruptcy judge. It is experience specifically in these kinds of cases, the cases in the bankruptcy research database. Okay, now a follow-up question then is, is there a, a tipping point? So, for example, a judge who has done two prior Chapter 11 cases, is it uh, just having had one prior Chapter 11 case, or is it some sort of critical mass of prior cases that makes a difference? It's a continuous uh, variable. The, they range from judges who have never done a case before up to Judge Walsh, who has done 80-some uh, cases. So it's a very wide range. So you've got a continuous variable here. Is it true that the more experience, the higher the probability, or can you not parse it that finely? Exactly that. Okay. The more experience, the higher the probability of okay. survival. Okay. What that means is that by assigning cases to judges with more experience, the system can actually increase the number of companies that survive bankruptcy. It can save jobs, save companies. So, Lynn, what's your recommendation then based on the way we currently deal with assigning Chapter 11 cases? Well, I think what the courts, what the system should be doing is making sure that very large, important cases are assigned to experienced judges. If you do that, those companies are actually more likely to survive. All right. Now, one of the confounding factors here was that a lot of the big Chapter 11 cases go to the Southern District of New York uh, or to Delaware. So how does that affect this judicial experience variable? Well, the judges in Delaware and New York, on average, are more experienced judges. So when lawyers farm shop to Delaware or New York, uh, they are, generally speaking, increasing the likelihood that the companies are going to survive. So in that sense, it's positive. But merely going to Delaware and New York does not assure that you get an experienced judge. Uh, for example, the Lehman Brothers case was randomly assigned to a new bankruptcy judge. So uh, by our numbers, that company would have had a smaller chance of survival. If it's the case that the more experience the judge has and we assign them to the most experienced judges, what happens in 10 years, for example, if we follow that methodology? At some point, new judges have to be trained in these cases because judges are going to retire. So do you have some way of dealing with that particular problem or some suggestion? You're right that um, everybody has to start somewhere. If you're going to be experienced, you've got to do something as an inexperienced judge. But that kind of problem exists in a lot of areas, and the way you solve it um, is that uh, judges or others, surgeons, uh, you might say, uh, by comparison, uh, begin with easier situations and move to more difficult situations. They gain experience as they go, and instead of 
being appointed to the bench and maybe drawing randomly uh, some extremely large and important case that you're not really that well qualified to handle, uh, you would be advanced uh, over time uh, and as you gained experience to more and more complicated cases. I see. And so let me see if I have this right. Using the model, for example, that you have, and we'll talk about a little bit later, this sort of bankruptcy survival calculator, the cases that are the most risky, so to speak, in terms of survival, we should assign those to the most experienced judges. And essentially, the newbie judges get their feet wet with cases that have a higher chance looking at all the other factors of survival. Is that what you're thinking? Well... Not exactly. <laughs> Joe, do you want to... Well, I think, I think that from our findings, that's not a... a, a that would be an interesting solution. We, we can indicate, for example, that uh, a company that is intended in their initial press release that they're going to sell, mm-hmm. uh, that would be the kind of case that would not go to an inexperienced judge. Um, particular financial situations of companies, those could should not be sent off to a, an inexperienced judge. Uh, the cases that are least likely to survive would be the ones that we would think would go to, a, to an experienced judge uh, who is more likely to be able to help that company uh, get through the process. Okay. The experienced judges and their staffs are also a, a resource for, ju- for new judges and for judges in other districts when they encounter a a case like this. So it's not that the experienced judges are working in isolation. Um, They provide advice, and their courtroom staff provide advice to to newer judges who have not encountered certain situations before. So it's it's not that clean a break between an experienced judge and an inexperienced judge. The system itself gains experience. I see. Okay, that's a good clarification. How do your current findings about the impact of judicial experience in forum shopping to New York or Delaware comport with your prior research where you found that Chapter 11 cases in New York and Delaware, particularly Delaware, had high failure rates? Uh, Our prior research on Delaware and New York as forums had to do with forum shopping, and it focused on a particular period of time from 1991 to 1996 when experience in uh, these types of large cases uh, was not as widespread as it is now. And uh, a large percentage of the cases filed uh, in those courts, particularly in Delaware, ended up failing. They entered Chapter 22. Um, you know, They refiled for bankruptcy within five years. Uh, that would appear to contradict our findings in this, which indicate that, you, that Delaware and New York are uh, good places for a company to file because the judges are the most experienced. Uh, I don't think it's contradictory at all, because in the interim from 96 to the present, those judges have gained considerable experience, and uh, simply because they've gained that doesn't mean it contradicts our previous findings. Yes, and it seems to tie in with your idea that the more experience the judge has, the better the results. And also your suggestion, perhaps, that we assign newer judges to cases that are perhaps less complex so that they gain experience. So do you think that's that's correct? Yes. Okay. Let me just add that uh, actually bankruptcy survival was low in Delaware and New York during the period 1991-96. That is, the companies didn't just refile, but they also failed to survive. 
there are a lot of things going on, though, during that period of time that are not going on during the large bulk of the time we're talking about. And the sample size was very low uh, then. Now we're talking about 600 cases, uh, a far larger number of cases. So these, I think, are uh, more representative findings than the others are. Yes, I see. You have a larger sample. You have a longer time frame as well. Right. And it oh. includes those earlier cases. And it includes those earlier cases as well. Oh, okay. That's a good point. So let's move on to several of the other variables that you found. Some of them are really fascinating, and some seem a little counterintuitive. Um, the Let's talk about this distance to the local bankruptcy court. That's a fascinating finding. Could you explain the effect on bankruptcy survival? Well, what the what the finding is is that the further the longer the distance from the company's headquarters to the local bankruptcy court. And this is we're not talking about the court where the company actually files because the large majority of them don't file there. But just the distance to that local court is a strong predictor of survival. We think what is going on is that bankruptcy courts are um, spread around the country in a way that is an attempt to put them close to urban centers. And what it means to be far from your local bankruptcy court is to be far from whatever is a large city for your part of the country. You're isolated, in other words. And we think that's how it's really operating, that companies that are isolated are less likely to survive than uh, companies that are in the, midst of, in the middle of a large city, for example. The interesting thing that you noted was that 71% of the cases that were studied did not file in the local court. So it would be strange, then, to say that distance to the local court is a determining factor. Right. It's not that distance per se, but it's rather what that distance says about the com company's proximity to uh, other industries to urban centers. And the proximity to other industries, urban centers, what kinds of things would you think would make that company potentially more successful? Why would that be important? Well, it's just speculation at this point, but it might be easier for a company that's in an urban center to recruit management or to persuade people uh, to stay in a risky situation. Uh, if there's more local opportunity, you can hang around with this company and find out whether it survives. But if you're located out in the sticks, you'd better get into the city where there are jobs uh, in your industry. Let's go on to another variable here. Sale intended. Now, explain what that is, first of all. And then I have a question about whether you recommend that firms not announce that they're contemplating a sale. Well, first of all... Uh, each company, when they file bankruptcy, issues a press release in which they discuss the bankruptcy case and sometimes say what their plans are. If in that press release they say anything at all about selling the company or finding a partner, anything to suggest that there's M&A activity coming, then they are less likely to survive. And this is a very strong predictor of failure. So do you have a recommendation then for firms that are entering bankruptcy as a result? Well, they may know full well that by announcing their interest in finding a, a partner, uh, that they're signaling that they're in deeper trouble. But if you need to find a partner, then you do, and you have to make that announcement. 
So we're not in a position to say whether they're over-announcing or under-announcing, simply that that's a signal, that's a predictor that will tell you what the likelihood of survival is for that company. Another very interesting finding from your study is that firms with more leverage are significantly more likely to survive. So could you explain why you think that may be the case? Well, it's something of a mystery, really. Uh, It's contradictory. What we're talking about when you say that a company has leverage is they have a lot of debt. Uh, And we call this variable equity before bankruptcy because uh, if you don't have a lot of debt, what it means is that you have a lot of equity. Your assets are supposedly worth a lot more than uh, the liabilities that you owe. And that suggests the company is strong and the company should be more likely to survive. And what actually turns out is that the company is far less likely to survive. Now, how you explain that, it's pretty difficult. Uh, It is not just as simple as there are some companies that have the problem of leverage and other companies that have the problem of low earnings because it doesn't split up that way. The companies with the uh, high, high leverage are not the companies with the high earnings. It's Whatever it is, it's not that simple. Let's talk about a couple of other the variables that you have here. Um, one of the things that you found, which for me was a little counterintuitive, maybe not for others, was that firms that have creditor committees, for example, are... <clears throat> at, less likely to survive bankruptcy. So could you explain why you think that may be the case? That's another variable where we have a finding, and Michelle Harner's research uh, made a related finding. It's not the same one as ours, but uh, it is pointing in the same direction toward creditors' committees having a negative effect. Um, And no, we don't have what we think is a good theory as to why um, the appointment of a creditors committee uh, is more makes a company more likely to fail. It's possible that the creditors committees are doing things that cause the failure, uh, but there are a number of other possibilities and not enough evidence uh, as to uh, how this is working. How the creditors committees, uh, what, what activity by the creditors committees is correlated with failure? That's the next area for research. Uh, I see. Is it possible? that the creditor committees are causing more cases to liquidate? And since you're talking about survival as opposed to liquidating plans, is that one possibility? That's a possibility, certainly. But why would the creditors committee want the company to fail? Uh, If the company fails, it's likely to be worth, the assets are likely to be worth less than if the company survives. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in general, the creditors committee should be siding with the debtor and trying to help the debtor to survive. But there may be cases in which uh, it's in the interest of the creditors that the company not survive. And that's something that we'd have to look for in the data. Let me ask you another question with regard to that. One of the things that you looked at were prepackaged uh, plans and then pre-negotiated plans. And it looks as if in the prepacked plans, you don't have committees as frequently. So could that be what is causing this finding, possibly? Uh, no, it's it's not because we have controlled for 
whether the companies uh, use prepackaged or pre-negotiated plans. And this effect is still there after that control. It's something else. So you two have created the Lepucky-Doherty Bankruptcy Survival Calculator. Explain who can use that and why they would be using it. Okay, first of all, anybody can use it. All you have to do is go onto the website um, and enter the values, and you get a prediction. Uh, why somebody would want to use it is, is well, they are probably a person who is involved in some way in a bankruptcy case, uh, one of these large public company cases, and they have to make decisions. If you are, for example, an executive, you've got to make the decision whether you're going to stay with the company if you are a dip lender, whether you're going to lend money, if you're a supplier, are you going to continue to supply the company? If you're the bankruptcy judge, there are a number of different places at which you're supposed to be determining whether or not this uh, plan is going to succeed, uh, whether or not this company is going to survive. So a lot of people need to know about this. Counsel for any of them uh, can be very helpful to the parties in figuring out uh, what the likelihood of survival is. The uh, number from the bankruptcy survival calculator is just one piece of evidence to be considered along with everything else that you know about the company. But it's also an important piece of evidence. It gives you an anchor. Uh, it, it is a, a reality check on rosy predictions of survival or uh, predictions of doom. Should your bankruptcy survival calculator be used to determine the probability of success for small businesses, for example, mom and pop enterprises or family-owned businesses with small asset or liability amounts? No, it shouldn't. Uh, the calculator is based solely on big case data, and one thing we know about Chapter 11 is that it works very differently for big and small cases. So the calculator should only be used for the kind of cases in which it was developed, which is large public company cases. Joe, this is a, an amazing study in terms of the number of variables that you looked at. I believe there were 70 variables. Uh, could you talk a little bit about the strategy that you use for selecting the variables to study? Yes, yeah, so we had a prior expectation that certain variables uh, would have a uh, might play some role in whether or not a company survives bankruptcy. Uh, and that ended up being about 70 of the variables that are in the bankruptcy research database. A number of them measure more or less the same thing. So liabilities and assets, uh, we have a variable for each. So they are each me some measure of size. Uh, our strategy was to identify the variables in that larger universe that were not only independent predictors of whether or not a company survived, but also in combination with other variables, so controlling for other variables, whether they remained significant predictors of survival. So whether they had some individual contribution uh, to the survival of the company or not. And that's how we arrived at the, uh, the 11 variables in this study. So why is your calculator and this study, why is this important? Well, probably the, uh, the most important finding is the finding with regard to judicial experience because it tells us very directly how we can save more companies as they go through bankruptcy. Uh, the bankruptcy survival calculator is important because uh, it tells the participants in a case uh, the likelihood of survival 
people act on that likelihood of survival, uh, and companies maybe sur survive or don't survive simply because of the predictions. If the predictions are good and we think ours are the best you can do on available data, uh, then uh, you're going to maximize, again, survival uh, uh, among the companies. If instead uh, people work on the basis of less effective predictions, they're going to make mistakes and companies are going to be destroyed as a result of that. So then let's talk a little bit, because one of the other factors that we haven't discussed yet are the DIP loans. And so a lender could use your calculator, correct? That's right. Okay. And this is, again, one of those circular problems that if you get a dip loan, you are more likely to survive. And who gets a dip loan? Companies that the lenders think are more likely to survive. In the study, one of the things that you talked about was that you were trying to uh, respond to other research that suggested that DIP lenders, dip lenders, are good screeners. In other words, the firms that get dip loans get them because the dip lender is essentially engaged in a predictive process and they're predicting accurately. Would you explain what you found about the impact of dip lenders on bankruptcy survival? Well, we found that uh, that the dip lenders do uh, add uh, to the predictive capacity of the model. That is, the dip lenders are lending to the survivors, but it is very difficult to determine whether or not they're picking the right company, that's the screening function, or whether the fact that they give the company the loan uh, simply enables the company to survive. Remember that many of the dip lenders are not at risk at all in these situations they are going to get paid even if the company fails. Uh, so our research uh, indicates less strongly, but still uh, uh, does indicate that dip lenders are screening. And then there was another piece where you talked about dip loans. The firms that have dip loans are now taking longer in bankruptcy than they used to. You were, again, responding to some earlier research. Why do you think that's the case, or do you not have a, a theory on that? We've gone far enough to know that the earlier research was right on the period of time that they were dealing with back in the mid-90s, uh, and we also know that the outcome has changed. Uh, as to why the outcome has changed, why it is that companies used to go quickly with dip loans and now they go more slowly with dip loans, that we don't know. So let's change gears a bit and talk about your PACER Docket Searcher program. What does it do? Yes, what this is, is it is a program that's on the website, free, available to anyone. And what it does is it searches the dockets of all of the cases in the bankruptcy research database. And what that enables people to do that they could not do before is to go behind the research and to, for example, look at what the creditors' committees are doing. Are there motions to dismiss the case or motions to convert the case to Chapter 7 actually being filed by creditors' committees, and are they uh, being filed in the cases where the companies fail? So it makes it possible for lots and lots of different people for all of their own various reasons to get behind the research and see what the concrete documents really show. So you're able to 
get the docket and then click on the hyperlink, is that right, into Pacer. And then, of course, their own Pacer service, will they'll be charged for the document that they pull up from that, but at least they have the docket in front of them. Is that correct? Yes, but it goes it goes much farther than that. It, ah. It's not simply pull up a docket in a case, but rather you can search for something like if you're if you're uh, interested in key employee retention plans, you enter key employee retention plans, or uh, and CURP, or CURP, and it does a boolean search, searches all of the dockets, comes back and tells you there are this many documents uh, in this many cases. That's fabulous. So you can easily find all the documents of any particular type that you're interested in. That's a terrific search tool for anyone to use. Now, getting back to your study, who provided the funding? We wanted to thank the endowments of the ABI, the NCBJ, and the TMA for uh, sponsoring this research. They're not responsible for the uh, findings um, uh, or our methods, uh, but we really appreciate the support. So, I would like to thank my guests Professor Lynn Lepucky and Professor Joe Doherty. Their article, Bankruptcy Survival, is forthcoming this spring in the UCLA Law Review. You can find their Bankruptcy Survival Calculator under Prediction Tools on the UCLA Lepucky Bankruptcy Research Database website. This is Ann Lawton with another ABI podcast. Thank you for listening.